Say that the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Join me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. I cough better than anyone on this show. It's it's it is true. It's definitely true. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. My coughs are weak and unimpressive. It's also true. Yeah, it's. I'm trying to think of a, a, a insult that's not uh, deeply offensively gendered. <laughs> I can't really come up with one. Okay. So cough like a man just sounds weird. Right? Yeah. yeah. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, a man whose coughing abilities fall right in the middle. Lee Younger, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church. Falling right in the middle, I feel like that's my forte. But I will say, shout out to my friend Jake Livengood, who we mentioned on the show before, who actually sent me a message after being mentioned on the podcast where he said, I feel like I've made it as a Christian since I've been mentioned on Say That. <laughs> yeah, that's uh if you say so, buddy. Yeah, that that might put you more in the questionable category. Uh, it, it's it's more infamous than famous. Yeah, it's, uh, in fact, there are some places where you would be red flagged. That's right. Like uh, very prominent Christian. Yeah, yeah, very prominent Christian colleges may red flag you as as they have us. <laughs> you know what? I, that triggers a, a story before we get into the prepared material. Um, I, I very recently, uh, for Christmas, got to spend some time amongst our friends down there in Tennessee, right. including with Lee, and we're, we're kind of out doing, just kind of running, I'm just, I'm just tagging along as he's running errands, we're hanging out. We run into a friend of the show and a super fan, Tim Waddell, oh, woo! Yeah. And, uh, who actually, in conversation, asked me, so what, what happened with the whole Wheaton thing, with the red flagging? You guys not get to do that anymore. And I was able to share, this is true. I, th- I know we have some Wheaton friends who listen. I think they'll enjoy this. Uh, Glenn, I'm going to impress upon you to tell the story from last Christmas about when you got to tell a Wheaton professor that maybe their scandalous reputation was dragging you down a little bit. Well, yeah. I don't, I don't well, know. Back, how... The background on it is there's, we won't get into it because we don't, it's not for us to, that Wheaton maybe handled a, the, Wheaton College may handled a, a professorial. Uh, thing uh, in a not super cool way, and tried to force a, a lady out right. for having some, for having the audacity to point out that Islam is an Abrahamic religion, right? Which, if you're trying to keep your uh, academic bona fides up, you may not want to have a full on freak out about things that are objectively true, right? That's right. <laughs> um, That's right. But uh, they they tried to fire her. They public relations handled it really bad, and it became right. a thing in the kind of Chicagoland area where some of the churches we work with, particularly some of the Older church ladies of places we work with were unhappy. Yeah, that didn't go down smooth. And knew that uh, Glenn has lectured at Wheaton and knew that we ha- will occasionally have some Wheaton groups come. Uh, they do a great job hosting right. for us, kind of their fre- incoming freshmen. And uh, so one, one of these church ladies pulled uh, Glenn aside at no less an event than the 2015 Mission USA Christmas party. Yeah. And wanted to know so, what exactly is yeah, your relationship? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wheaton College. Yeah, will we survive the Great Purge or not? <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it, it, essentially, the 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 very short version is a, a a while back we wanted to do a thing at Wheaton, and bless their hearts, they were kind of picking at nits and yeah. discovered something. I might... believe the 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 triggering mechanism was at some point in our promotional material we gave to them to the students. The phrase "irreverent humor" came up. And if there was ever a phrase where they don't want the word irreverent, it is at the Billy Graham Center right. at Wheaton College. Yeah, so they 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 uh, red flagged us and literal term. We, what what 
we were supposed to do was explain that so then they would just you know put the event back on but we didn't know and so we did the event thing. anyway. Uh, we did a uh, bit of a pirate broadcast. And uh, so what we did in order to make it safe for the people listening is we had uh, a member of our staff, Pete Lawson, with an actual red flag uh, on the stage of the event so that if any point we said something that seemed a little inappropriate, he would just wave the red flag. Yes. And then they would know to disregard that as not being Christian. He didn't go to the school, but as a former resident of Wheaton, Illinois, we thought Pete really had the uh, yeah the he had spirit the feel. yeah he had the feel for it. So uh, so we've had a bit of fun at their expense of them red flagging us, uh, and uh, we we did take a altogether unchristian enjoyment in the fact that that we got to essentially red flag them yeah. off of an <laughs> infinitely more serious issue, uh, but. Uh, but it got resolved, uh, sure. in, I think, in a very good way. And, and one of our buddies was one of those who kind of uh, pushed for the right solution on that. Yes. So, But that did not out. stop you from pulling him aside at the bridge and saying, now, just yeah. if we're ever in certain places, don't be offended if I don't shake yeah, hands with you. Yeah, if I need to throw you under they, the bus. Apparently you guys you know. have a little bit of reputation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, it, it's one of those things of uh, what goes around tends to come right back around. Absolutely, and the, the, the not-that-rare instance of sometimes the, the podcast world and the real world collide in some, some hilarious and unexpected ways. That's right. And on that basis, I declare an emergency. Wait, Is that what? even allowed? I, uh, darn tootin'. Are we still doing that? Because I thought we... You thought uh, we left it in 2016? We like to just get right to the wisdom. That's right. Well, normally we don't like to faff or right. tarry or any such mid-century British uh, term for... Lullabout. Uh, Exactly. Well, we like waffling, but in the Belgian sense, not the English sense. That's right. Um, but it, speaking of things we say on the podcast that people take into real life, um, I, I, we have received missives from multiple people from, uh, I, I'll have you know, Dr. Mm. Alan Hamilton, sir, uh, from, I'm just going to go ahead and, and say Todd Warren Esquire. Sure. Yeah. I don't think it's true, but while we're, throwing, uh, while we're throwing titles at people, and a couple of others have mentioned I have sent us screenshots of their Netflix with It Takes a Church on it. It Takes a Church, you may remember being the name of the uh, guerrilla Christian church dating show (laughs) that we went into some detail describing a couple of episodes back. And if this show involved an actual gorilla, it would be more sane. (laughs) Yes. The the Wikipedia would not read any less crazy. That's right. If it was G G O R I L A gorilla, right, right, right. Um, here's the thing, people. When we, when we tell you this thing is super crazy, that is that is not us telling you to look at it. Do yes. not look at the things that we are mocking on the show. It is a cautionary tale. <laughs> it's like if we say there's a cliff, don't jump <laughs> off it. That means pay attention to the don't jumping off part, not how fascinating the cliff is. Yes, you know. yes, we applaud your bravery. Right. But we're just not sure it's the best use of such things. If your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump too? Wait, my friends are jumping off a bridge? Let's go! <laughs> Milos jumped off a bridge? Seems exciting. Yeah, and uh, also we will nip this in the bud. One of, one of them, uh, some I think it was Todd, uh, mentioned, you know, what do we have to do to get a, a, a say that, mystery science theater style riff track Ooh. with this thing, <laughs> to which I pointed out there's not enough money. In the existence of the universe, yeah, 
to get us to do that well, for a number of reasons. One, it would be horrible to sit through. Right. And B, oh my gosh, would that be unreleasable? Yeah, that's really the key thing. We've off the record done that with Christian media before, and <laughs> there's that a reason can't be it's recorded. off the record. Yeah, it, it, the the level of vulgarity got extra strength pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, like you can guess from the way from the way we can put ourselves on this show we know is being recorded. Yeah. You can make an educated guess about the amount of vulgarity that happens off mic. Right. And you'd be wrong by about half. Right. But then you crank that up another three or four factors yeah. to the live was it Halloween? It was Halloween and it was uh um, It was God's Not Dead. I know yes. that. Yes. No, oh no, that was fireproof. We did Well we did Halloween. both. We fireproof done both, was a while, while back. Oh, oh. But, Fireproof got really vulgar. Yeah, it got raw, man. That was bad. You know, this this should be said. We've said this before, but it, we're due to, to remind the listeners. I know this seems impossible to you if you're listening at home. This is the best behaved we ever are. Oh, by far. By a long shot. This is the <laughs> yeah. maximum strength restraining good behavior right now. Right, right. I, I know it seems like that can't possibly be true. Yeah. It super is. It really, really is. Yeah. This no. is better behaved than we are at the bridge. This is better behaved <laughs> right. than That's Glenn true. is in denominational level meetings. That's absolutely true. How this do you is... know that? Because Glenn has never just left the podcast because he was tired of being there. <laughs> That's and said, I have had enough. I'm leaving now. Your meeting and is too long. And then yelled at Jed for not leaving Get the podcast. Out. <laughs> That's right. That. People think we're joking. When That's we not say a that. joke. That's how you stay sane. I'm is, shaking you know. the hands of kindly old church ladies who have made lunch saying, it was a lovely get together. Thank you for it. Get out! <laughs> yes, I was leaving Jed behind <laughs> and warning him, your ride is leaving. Loudly. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Because you have people like to know where they stand. Yes. <laughs> do they? So. Or do you like letting people know where they well, stand? Well, yeah, potato, potato. <laughs> sure. <laughs> But here's the thing, people. When we, th- this uh, show, we do a public service. Yes. That's we're right. Here to help the, we're here to help the people. Absolutely. When we tell you, here's the thing, don't watch it. Don't watch it. You have to, you know what I mean? You can't just start going and watching that because it's dangerous. Yes. It can get well, in your brain. Go ahead, Lee. It's not the thing where you say, dude, this smells terrible. You got to smell this. <laughs> right. No, that's not that. It's well, not I think, what we're doing. I think that's a very fair point. I think, unintentionally, we treaded too far into that line with the It Takes a Church thing because the description was so, as Glenn put it at the time, psychedelic. Yes. <laughs> yes. There's, there's a clear, you want to steer clear of this. Right. But then there is, there is no string of words that can accurately describe how terrible this smell is. Right. You just have to smell it. That's right. And even though I didn't intend that, I think we may have veered a little bit towards that. Right. On the It Takes a Church. Yeah. See, this is, let me tell you what this podcast is like. Tell me. Okay. Like, uh, I thought the terrible smell was a pretty good analogy (laughs) myself, but go ahead. No, no, no. No, it's not. uh, I'm rejecting that. Here's what I'm saying. (laughs) It's like being married. You're talking about our podcast or this TV show? Danger. The, I, the, this this podcast is okay. like being married. Meetings. Oh, that's nah, nah, meetings. Nah, no. Nah, Matt wouldn't know anything about that because nope. Matt Matt's refuses to get married. To hurt Spite. us. That's why he does that. That's right. Spite singleness. Now, but here's what happens when you're married. Yeah. There's a noise. Middle okay. of the night, there's a bump. Yes. You know, there's a, la- there's yes. a bang. There's yes. a, something happens. Yes. Now, here's what happens. The, the woman says to the man, you Go investigate. To, Go investigate. Now, is that what, the way that goes out of your house, Chad? 
If if it's a it, <laughs> don't, I'm don't put that evil this. on me. <laughs> don't put that evil on me. Here's what I'm saying. There's a there's probably a ninja. That's yes. probably what the noise yes. is. Yes. Sure, okay. they found us. What happens if I go investigate? I'm getting killed. Yes. Right? By so, the ninja. By the ninja. At least you won't feel it. Whoever sent me should have thought of that. You're getting blow darted. There's no th- there's no assessing whether or not I should be risking my life or what should it's just you just send that person to be cannon fodder yes. while you can run away. That's what's going on there. This shows like that. People tell us, here's an awful thing. Yes. We go in to investigate. Yes. It's already infested in our mind, the craziness. We, we would be sane. We would be totally sane and normal if it wasn't for weird Christian nonsense. It's true. <laughs> That's in our brain. We're fighting the madness every yep. day. Yep. That's so that you don't have to wade in and experience We're it. not going to top service. that sentence in, this, in the rest of this episode. <laughs> that is entirely true. On that basis, I do declare an emergency off. There have been many uh, – do one, bit qu- one a quick bit of business before we transfer into, into what's next. Uh, there have been many uh, wonderful things that have come up on the show over the year, many uh, emergencies, segments. Um, there have been a lot of meetings. Yeah. Yes. We, maybe we should pick the best thing Glenn said that triggered a meeting. But this will all be coming up soon on our uh, slightly postponed annual Thaddy Awards. That's right. And Glenn, I believe you have an appeal for the people. Yes. uh, Every year we have our uh, annual uh, black tie gala event, uh, red carpet. Trust uh, us, all that stuff's true. You can't see it, but it's there. Yeah, there's gowns and... Come in limousines. Tiaras. Yeah. Red carpet. Like a regular uh, gala event. Yeah. Sure. They have the... Searchlights that do the thing with the, the, you know, like where they shine up in the air. Yeah. That tells people this is a big deal. We do it in a castle. That's right. Michael Buble. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. We got the Buble going. It's, it's a, it's our big event to celebrate the best of Say That for the year. Now, um, here's what we're going to do is we're, we're opening it up to people who want to nominate uh, various categories and nominate who should win various categories. So if you have a say that uh, category that you want to go into the thatties, then uh, send that in to say that podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll take it under advisement. That's right. Absolutely. You can also obviously send them to, if you follow us on Twitter or connect with us, Facebook, you can send them into that, but the easiest way to, uh, to keep them all in one spot is going to be the email. So say that podcast at gmail.com if you have either uh, category or winner suggestions yep. for the thaddies. That's right. It's going to be and amazing. I, that's right. And obviously throwing a yearly uh, black tie gala is not cheap. No, not at all. Even though it is just uh, me, Glenn, and Jed in black tie, but we still <laughs> rent the carpet and you want to do it up because, you know. Yeah, the carpet in here is red. So that's absolutely true. true. We've already got that worked out. Yeah, so that's done, and once we rent the tuxes, we're. But you know, it 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 starts to add up. Those right. search turns out finding those searchlights is not cheap. No, turns out stealing those searchlights from local airfields <laughs> easier, but not cheaper in the long run. That's right. The, you have the to think legal quarterly, costs. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. So, you know, but things we learn as we pick up. So, mm. um, all that to say, we we obviously have to raise some funds to throw these. So black tie gals. And one of the ways we're going to try to do that, obviously, is Bridgebox. I feel mm. like if, if more people sign up, we can get a better class of paparazzi. Yes. Because right. right now, it's basically just uh, it's basically just Glenn with his own phone. Right. Yeah. And the angles aren't great. Yeah. He's doing what he can. Yeah. 
but you know, I feel like if we can really get some PR going right. on this, we can start to, you know, we can get a, you know, random get we can get Neil Patrick Harris. Maybe he right. seems to like to do these kind of things. Absolutely. Right. That British dude who's not Stephen Colbert, he likes to do things like this and Absolutely. he I think he owns his own tux. He just show up and sing a medley of say that style things. Gervais. I think I was thinking of James Corden. Yeah. Oh, because he hosts things. I don't think we want Ricky Gervais at our. No, that's that's our. I I don't think that's the kind of press coverage we want, really. Okay. But uh, so, but all the state, it doesn't come cheap. Right. But eight dollars at a time, we can put it together. Right. If you go to missionusa.com slash Bridgebox, sign up for Bridgebox, you get a lot of cool stuff for yourself, and you can fund, for the time now, you're funding our deacons division, our part-time employees who are products in the industry, do a, a great job helping connect people with churches and food and uh, do all that. But eventually, if we get enough of you, we'll have enough extra money, we can spend it on stupid crap. Yes. And yeah. that'll be fun for us. That's, that's the fever dream. That's what we want. That's really what we're going to get. And you can uh, believe us, we're not close to there. You're, if you sign up today, you're not going to be the one who pushes us over the edge. That's right. We have lots of deacons we want to hire but once we do that uh you know bridge palooza absolutely things will be great missionusa.com slash bridge box all right we jumped our first question here if jed doesn't knock the table over onto me it's all fine options sure um it jumped our first question here everything else all the way to the end i'll give you the ways you can get in touch with this this one comes in anonymously to our tumblr inbox and it says can you talk a bit more about god being pleased because i listened to the episode where you talked about how god isn't can't be disappointed or proud because there's an element of surprise in those things. But if it's possible for God to be pleased, then can he not be unpleased? Which seems a lot like sadness or disappointment, or am I misunderstanding this? Thanks, guys. And Glenn, can you start us off with this idea? Absolutely. I think the the key thing is uh, we're trying to say that that God uh, doesn't uh, have a sense of being uh, uh, surprised, uh, as you're saying here, as you're implying here, at our behavior, uh, God sees these things coming, and he's aware of what's going on. Uh, but uh, uh, So I think it's fair to say that God sees the weaknesses that we have, and he understands about that, and he appreciates that. If you have a small child, you're aware that that small child is not able to walk. You don't have expectations that that child would walk today. You do have expectations that child would eventually walk mm-hmm. You're, you're not displeased that the child is unable to walk in this exact moment. You have understanding and patience about that. But there's a point at which that process needs to begin. And yes, it, it, theoretically, it would be very disappointing if a child would not be bothered to learn to walk sure. over the course of its life. That would be displeasing and and a, and a bad thing, you know. Uh, so... Uh, but it is certainly true that God uh, is pleased with uh, us on certain things, and there are certain things that God's very clearly displeased with. Uh, the Bible is actually super clear about that. We tend to uh, overlay uh, that our view of that by uh, Christian cultural stuff, Christian yes. cultural values, which is not not a good way of looking at those things. And then we tend to lay over that our own emotional take yep. and our own personal thing. Yep. Uh, and that might be based on you know society. It might be based on just our our own hangups or any of those kinds of things. But the Bible itself is actually very clear. Uh, one of the main things that it describes about being pleasing to God is uh, uh, sharing our resources with other people, helping other people, particularly those who can't uh, d- that don't help aren't able to help themselves. You know, mm-hmm. the, uh, people who are struggling, uh, people who are poor, they may be sick, they may be what have you. 
that it's pleasing to God for, to see us look out for one another. And that can be on an emotional level as well. You have a friend that just needs time and, and focus. Uh, that's pleasing to God. Um, an, another thing I would highlight in there is our willingness. Uh, the, I, I think uh, there's a lot of people that focus on, I have to be really holy looking and acting and sounding and really uh, uh, sanctified and really Bible knowledge and all those kinds of, these are the things. But those same people might be going to God and aren't terribly willing to do a whole lot that he's telling them to do. Mm-hmm. There's, there may be a lot that I'm willing to do to make myself look good as a Christian and have other Christians think I'm really a good Christian or to make myself feel like I'm a good Christian. But that's not at all the same thing as being willing to do the one thing that God's telling me to do right. uh, that may or may not make me look more Christian yeah. or whatever have you. So that willingness is pleasing to God. And the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll mention, and we talk about it often on the podcast, is uh, building that intimacy through yeah. listening yeah. in prayer. Uh, really letting, you know, if, I, if I'm if i going to be willing to do the right thing, I need to know what that thing is that the Lord's calling me to do. So I think those things are, are the, the, the key things for us to focus on in terms of the Lord being pleased with us. Absolutely right. I think those are really fantastic places to start. Jed, if I can throw to you on this, I think one of the uh, underlying ideas we're talking about here is not assigning emotions to God in the way we would understand them. Yeah. Because um, our emotionals, our kind of understanding emotion is based on things that are true about us as humans that are not true as God. Yeah. So if if we're not going to look at it from an emotional standpoint, if we're not going to look at pleased or displeased from an emotional standpoint, how do we understand things that please or displease God? That's a great question. Uh, this is worth actually taking a second and exploring, because particularly if you're new to the faith, this, some of this might be new. So um, God, a couple of things that are true about God. The first is he's infinite. Right. He's, he is everywhere at, at all times. You and I are not. We're only in one place. I'm in a basement right now. And what a basement it is, but, yeah. but God is everywhere. God is omniscient. That means God knows everything. There's nothing hidden from God, past, present, or future. He knows all things. Whereas my knowledge and your knowledge is very, very finite. And another thing that is true of God, and it relates to the last one, is that God exists outside of time. Right. God is not bound by time. Uh, God, God is, is again, it's, it's weird to, to say it, but God exists outside of time, whereas you and I very much exist within the flow of time. Okay, why does all that matter? It matters because we're trying to figure out how do we relate to a being that is so very different from us? How, what? The, the Bible is clear that God does have emotional states. I mean, that, that right. comes up quite a little bit. But what does it mean for a God who knows all things and is in all places and exists at all time and outside of time? What does it mean for him to be pleased? Right. Versus right. what it means for me to be pleased. And the answer is, I have no idea. Right. right and right. in truth, no, n- neither does anybody else. Mm-hmm. What you're describing there is knowing the mind of God, mm-hmm. and that's a tall order. That's, that's one of those things right. that you may have to wait for eternity on. But here's what we can know, is there are things in your life today that you are afraid are displeasing God. Mm-hmm. And that's probably part of why you're asking this question, is mm-hmm. you're, you're asking, what does God really think of me? You know, uh, you know, I know, you know there's all these Sunday school answers, but what does he actually think of me as a person? Well, the truth is he loves you. That's his final answer when it comes to you. That's the, the sum of his entire opinion towards you is love, desire, acceptance. Now, as I say that, I bet there's a voice in your head that's saying, yeah, but what about all this naughty stuff that I do? What about that? Well, that's a good question. The whole Jesus thing exists, so that doesn't have to be a problem. 
That's that's right. why Jesus comes into the picture, so all that can be taken care of. But right. here's the here's the thing that I really want to encourage. I want to ask you, and I want to encourage you to to take action related to. I know you have things in your life that you're afraid are displeasing to God, and I'm guessing that's why you're asking this question. Are you talking to God about those mm. things? Mm-hmm. Are you going to Him and just having a conversation about why those things hold so much appeal to you, and why you feel like you need those things in your life, and and what you feel like you're getting out of them, and why you're afraid that if you did things His way, you wouldn't get what you need? Because we all feel that way. That's why right. we have sin in our lives. Right. We all right. feel that way. But the most righteous thing you can do, the most pleasing thing you can do, God, is go and talk to Him. It's not to immediately get rid of this naughty thing that a list of rules says you shouldn't do. It's to talk to him about this thing being in your life and why it's in your life and and why some part of you wants it to keep being in your life. Mm. If we'll begin to have that conversation, change in our lives on a scale that we can't imagine will begin in that moment. And nothing could please God more than that. But it begins by simply going to him. As a child goes to his father and says, here's where I'm at, here's what I'm dealing with, and here's, here's why, and what do you have for me on that? I think it's a really, uh, really good place to build on that. And Lee, if I can get you to kind of take that to another level of, I think, to build on exactly what Jed's saying there, um, we cannot understand the way God views things by just assuming he uh, takes things the way we do. Right. And part of that is, as Jed's mentioning here, you know, if, let's say, uh, totally hypothetically, I had done something to displease Glenn, who is my boss, probably... The last thing that would be smart for me to do is a couple weeks later say, you know when I did that thing that pissed you off? Wasn't that fun? It was great. You want to talk about that and think about it and we can just kind of commune on that thing I do, I do that drives <laughs> you crazy? So it's it's a little counterintuitive to say, yes, God can be displeased with aspects of your life and where you are right now. But the answer to that is to go confront those with him. Right. But again, if, if we have a proper understanding of who God is, I think that becomes starts to make a lot more sense, right? Yeah, exactly. And And just to kind of piggyback on the whole flow of where this conversation is going is that like, if you do something to displease a boss or a parent or a friend or something like that, our, our collective experience with human beings is when I displease somebody enough, I can hit a point where they're done with me. You can get fired. You get kicked out of your parents' house. Someone who's your friend can say, I'm we're done. I'm tired of putting up with your stuff. I can't do this anymore. Um, or I can't do this, uh, you know, until every everything about this situation changes. I mean, we talk a lot about on this show about what it feels, you know, how important it is to to put up boundaries. And and some people that listen to the show have been the recipient of those boundaries from somebody else. Yeah. You know, right. and so we we have this experience of, you know, sometimes we have uh, relationships in our lives where we displease somebody. And the way that they cope with that is they, you know, figuratively or literally go sit in a corner and just have a lot of really sad feelings about how much it sucks that we hurt them. You know, they, they're, they're sore and, and, and rightly so or whatever, you know, based on what we've done. And so when we look at some of these verses, um, you know, and we're trying to ask this question about, you know, is God displeased with, uh, you know, with our, with our backslidings, with our failings, that kind of stuff. That's a very, um, that could cause us some anxiety and even some kind of panic about our spiritual life because we're afraid that God's response is, what if he hits the tipping point? What if God is done with me? Mm -hmm. Um, What if God has to go sit in a corner and just, 
nurse his feelings because I have so pissed him off. I've so mm-hmm. broken his heart or whatever that he just can't cope with the way that he feels. He has to throw up boundaries and put up walls against me. And exactly like Jed is saying, the, the, the thing is, is that God does have emotions about the, you know, he does want love back from us. He does love us and, and it's real love, you know, and, and he does... He is displeased with wrong, and mainly because he is love, and he wants what's best for us, and our own wrong is the worst thing for us. And so there's all this kind of complex stuff about it. But the thing that we can't understand about God is that when God is, the way that God responds to his own grieving heart over people's wrong or the wrongness of the world and everything, is he doesn't go sit in the corner and feel sorry for himself. He doesn't, he's not done with people. He acts. That's what God has done, is that he has acted. That Jesus has come into the world, exactly as Jed has said, and he's laid down his life, and he's paid for our wrongs. So there's nothing in between him and me. He's not throwing up boundaries. He's not throwing up walls. He has started, he's, he's made a way for us to come to him, and then he's given us the Holy Spirit to give us the, 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 the horsepower to make changes in our lives. And here's the really trippy thing about some of the stuff that Jeb was talking about before is that because God is outside of time, and we can't really understand this. I'm going to say some stuff, but we don't really know what this means. But it is true that God already knows the finished you. Yes. Mm -hmm. He's already hanging out with the finished you. If you could dig it, Jesus and the finished complete you are standing at the finish line of your life saying, come on, man, you're almost there. It's you're you're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. One more step at a time. One more step at a time. You're gonna make it there. In fact, because you're gonna go in eternity as a fully complete person and, and fully arrived and all that, God's most of God's experience with you is as a person who doesn't stumble and fall and screw up all the time. Now that's very hard for us to get our minds around. But I think it's important for us to understand that. Even God's emotions, he doesn't respond to them in the way that we do. It's not like our human relationships. He has acted. He has acted in a way to bring us to himself and to give us what we need to make changes. Yeah, I think that's exactly the right way to button that up. This really, and it's hard for us to always think about this. This really has a lot more to do with how God processes things than with how we process things. Because as our friend points out here, you know, he can be pleased. Can he be displeased? Yes. Well, then that's got to mean sadness and disappointment and all these emotional things that when we feel displeasure with someone are automatic as mm-hmm. a trigger, but they are automatic because as all of these guys pointed out, things like not know we are sad or disappointed if someone displeases us because we don't know if this is going to be the last time they talk to us. We don't, to go back to Glenn's parent analogy, you don't know if, if you have a child who kind of does something bigly wrong, not necessarily with the, the walking that displeases you. Part of the parental freak out I've heard from my friends is, we don't know if this is ever actually going to turn around. Right. As Lee is saying, if you could put him in a time machine and show him the, you know, 40-year-old, well-lined-out, emotionally healthy uh, version of this child, the freak-out on the thing that happened when they were 15 would be super low Mm -hmm. because it doesn't have any of these unknowns and these time factors that God doesn't have. And again, these are are big concepts we're talking about, but the bottom line on that comes down to just because God can be displeased with you does not mean he doesn't love you. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean he gives up on you, as Leo's pointing out. Doesn't mean he, he bails or you can, he stops having hope for you. And that's that's the main thing as you 
as you grow, you'll you'll start to understand. You have more of a walk to look back on. You'll start to understand a little bit more about how these these time aspects play into it. But for right now, the main main thing to take away with is yes, God can be displeased with aspects of your behavior without having any negative emotions about you as uh, as a whole and as a person, which is definitely something to be thankful for. We're going to transition to our next question here. It comes in anonymously to our inbox as well, and it says, "Can you talk about?" working with fellow Christians as co-workers, business partners, employees, and or bosses. It seems really awkward to me because you're supposed to be brothers and sisters in the family of God, but then there are hierarchies in the business world. How do you fire someone? How do you tell someone they're not doing good work if you're supposed to see them at church on Sunday? I've always tried to avoid conflating business and personal, which I would consider my faith personal, but how do I manage this? And uh, Jed, you've you've had some doings in the business world, and you've even in your work for Glenn had to uh, manage people and do performance reviews, that kind of stuff. How do we how do we make this balance? Well, it's a great question. There are two things I would look at. The first is you say there are hierarchies in the business world. There are actually hierarchies everywhere, and there's nothing unchristian about that. That's right. Um, we are all one in Christ. That is true. But in every uh, church, there's a pastor. And that dude's in charge, or that right. lady, but whoever. Right. The pastor's in charge is the important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're talking about a caste system where we said different people are more valuable, um, just they have a, a more inherent worth based on um, societal position, then that would be unchristian. Right. But in the modern workplace, that's actually not, it's just a hierarchy. It's a chain of command. And again, there's, there's actually nothing unchristian about that. There's actually nothing incompatible with the church um, on that. So right. that, I, I think, is, is not much of a concern. I, what it sounds like to me, the thing you're running into is that you're equating being nice and being loving. Mm. I think that's actually the, the thing that you're running into because basically you're saying, how can I be nice and tell someone that their work is bad? And the answer is you can't. There, there isn't a nice way to do that. But there are, there are two things on that, and fortunately they both point in the same direction, which is the direction you should go. The first is Christians are not called to be nice. Uh, that is super important and is not common knowledge. Christians are called to be loving. They are right. called to um, work for the good of the people around them. They're not called to be nice. Nice yeah. is a different thing. Um, if you read what Jesus said to people, a whole lot of it was not nice. Right. Like at all. When he talked to the religious people and he called them a brood of vipers, we, we have left niceness behind. Right. Right. So if Jesus did it, it wasn't a sin. Jesus definitely was not nice. Therefore, being nice is not a sin. That, that much we can be confident on. We are called to be loving. Now, here's the funny thing. The boss can't be nice. You actually right. cannot be an effective leader in any situation, in any environment, and be nice in the process. You might be able to be nice here and there once in a while, but as a rule, you cannot be nice. It just mm. it doesn't work that way. You can and should be fair. That's very good and completely compatible with being a Christian. You can and should be supportive. And again, that's completely compatible with being a Christian. You can and should, where the situation warrants it, give people second chances to the extent that you can. And again, that's, that's completely compatible with uh, Christianity. But you actually can't be nice. Your faith doesn't demand that of you. I think those are all really good points. I'm, as, you're, as you're saying that, I'm kind of sitting here thinking— you know, there are other things that are on that list. You can be kind. Yeah. These are not nice. So maybe maybe it would be helpful if in your mind, particularly in a workplace, what is this what is a kind of functional definition of this niceness we're chasing okay. that is not helpful? Niceness is co equal. Niceness is the same as wanting everyone to have positive feelings all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is what niceness mm-hmm. is. It is the chasing of positive feelings to the exclusion of all else. 
all the time. Yes. That's what niceness is. Now, mm. let's break that down. I'm glad that you asked. Nice feelings, are, or rather positive feelings, are not wrong. They, right. they're, they are not immoral. They are not bad. It turns out no feeling is immoral or bad because feelings don't have a moral component. But right. is, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing sinful. There's nothing bad about positive feelings. It's the, actually, you used the word hierarchy. It's the hierarchy. It's the mm. importance you, you brought up, how do I tell someone that they're, they're not doing good work? Well, it's actually very simple. You say you are not doing good work. Right. Uh, the, the work that you have done here is not of a sufficient quality uh, for this company to feel good about it. And it says, that's, let's be clear, that's super not nice. No one will ever hear that. I have heard those words directed mm-hmm. at me. No one will ever hear that and go, I feel great about that right. because that would be super, super weird. But it can be, actually, as it turns out, incredibly loving. You say, mm-hmm. the work you are doing today is not up to snuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I know you've got more in you than what you're putting out. I know you're capable of doing better kinds of work, better quality work, better volumes of work. I want to see you develop your career. I want to see you get there. Uh, let, me, let me give you some advice on this. Now we're being extremely loving. But again, Matt, to answer your question, NICE is about pursuing happy feelings right now today. We can't do that and be loving. Right. You're putting those happy feelings above what they need to hear. Exactly right. Exactly right. You're putting their happy feelings above what they need to hear. You're putting their happy feelings above what's good for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, you're putting their happy feelings above what you what is required of you as a manager and a boss and a leader. You're saying happy feelings are paramount. Therefore, everything else will serve that. Mm-hmm. That is, that's incompatible with being a Christian. That's incompatible with ministry. It's incompatible with being a leader of any kind. It's not that, again, that, that happy feelings are bad. It's they can't come first. Those have to be the caboose on the train. But if you can be loving to people and be clear with people, then you're well on your way to being both an effective leader in the workplace, but being an effective Christian in the workplace as well. I think that's a really, really good place to start. Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up here. I think one of the things that may be tripping up uh, people who have to navigate this kind of thing of, uh, our friend in the question writes it down of, you know, this seems a lot like working with your family. I think that's an excellent analogy, Mm. because in my mind, both of them are terrible ideas. Yep. But the reason of that being a lot of uh, conflict management for a lot of us, and it's, it's not the healthiest thing in the world, but it was hard to poo-poo it because it's a survival mechanism, is just uh, kind of like we talked about in the last episode about temptation is just let's avoid as much as we can. Right. Mm-hmm. Which exactly. actually, in, in, a, in some senses, that's, that's fine. No one should be going out looking for conflicts to manage. But one of the things about the workplace is we're all kind of stuck in this office, Yep. And, you know, if if Jen- if you need the report from Jenkins to do the thing and your boss chews you out about the report being wrong, you have to deal with Jenkins somehow on this whole thing. So how do we focus maybe less on, as, as Jed pointed out, I think very smartly, the idea of niceness is about outcome. It's about mm-hmm. everyone. The nice thing is whatever it takes for this person to feel positive about me at the end. How do we flip that to more about working on the processes of handling ourselves with an integrity, handling ourselves in a Christian way as we do the kind of conflict management that's going to need to be done. Well, it's exactly what you said. I love the analogy with the family because most people basically, they kind of go through life hoping conflict won't happen. That's kind of, yep. that's kind of people's natural thing is, I just, I just hope nothing dramatic or bad will happen instead of getting a plan for how to do that. That's why, you know, people either have like like with marriages, people either have like C minus 
marriages where they are avoiding each other and avoiding the conflict and all that stuff, or they've broken up, or two married people have gotten a plan and a strategy and they've gotten reps and they've worked through and they've they've made changes and they've made adjustments and they've figured out how we need to work you know together in the midst of conflict because all real relationships have conflict mm-hmm. all of them there is no exception if you have a real actual human relationship there will be some butting of heads there will be conflict and so You've got to get a plan for how to do that. And all the things that Jeb was mentioning before, uh, that all of those things come to play. Um, you know, it, it can work within the hierarchy. It can work with, lo- with being loving and kind. You know, I, I think that, that the idea that Christians misunderstand the, the difference, which it's not subtle, it's stark, the difference between nice and kind, um, that, that cannot be overstated enough. But conflict can actually be done in a kind way. Absolutely. Um, now, mm-hmm. conflict, mm-hmm. you can't get anywhere on conflict if you're just going to do it in a nice way. Uh, because that, mm-hmm. we can't actually operate like that. But if you go ahead and, and, and you know, we'll admit that no matter how much we like each other right now, we are going to have conflict. These are the ways that we are going to handle conflict in this environment, in this office, between each other. We're going to listen to each other. We're going to, this is how we're going to, you know, move off if we've got to blow off some steam, if we've got to take a time out, whatever the things are. So much of this is about clear communication from the top. If we have clear communication of the expectations are that we will have conflict and we are going to learn how to manage it. We're not going to give up on each other, all that kind of stuff. When you look at the way Paul talks, for instance, in the, in like, you know, in the, you know, First Corinthians or in the pastoral epistles like First and Second Timothy, what he talks about all the time is that, that, that all of these roles, you know, that bosses, employees, older people, younger people, married people, you know, pastors and, and, and folks in the church in, minist- in different ministry positions, all that stuff. He said, he said, we should, believers should be leading the world in showing people this is how you have these relationships, even with hierarchy with conflict, with everything, with humility, with understanding, with respect, with obedience, all of these things come to play. And we should be showing everybody how to do it. But we can't get there if we are just crossing our fingers and hoping conflict won't happen. All successful marriages are, 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 are environments where people have talked about, gotten a plan for, been clear about, have done the work and the reps and learned how to have conflict with each other. It might be the most important thing. Whenever I'm doing premarital counseling, it's the thing we work on the most. How, what was the last fight like? What's the next one? What's our plan for the next one? Let's figure out the pieces that didn't work this time. Let's get into the next one. But being clear about that, we're going to have conflict, and this these are our different styles, and this is how we're going to do this. It's a super huge part of this whole process. That's a very, very, uh, oh, that's a lot of good points. And it's also a good uh, indication of how these kind of skills are transferable and mm-hmm. really are something you do need to develop. But if I, I can get you to close this out on this, you obviously have a, a severe, um, a very severe amount of experience on doing this and 
your your work life and your Christian life kind of uh, are as mixed as anyone I know. You know, mm-hmm. your faith stuff is your work, and your work is your faith stuff. Uh, as far as just people who work in your organization, like me and Jed, pastors you partner with, people who you want to train. But I think one of the things that, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, has, has helped you. And part of what I think our friend is not looking at here is it's actually there's nothing actually unchristian or bad. It's actually a very smart idea to draw some clear boundaries. And you know, I have the boss hat on. I have the mm-hmm. we're friends at church hat on. That's not lesser. That's actually a really smart strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I... Yeah, everyone uh, that works for me uh, or that I've worked uh, the, the, is sort of in a subordinate position, uh, and even the, many of the pastors that I've worked with where I've had at one time or another I had to sit virtually all of them down and say, you know, I love you, but dang, dude, this ain't it, you know. So it's, you know, there's, there's uh, uh, for me, that's, it's maybe, it's unpleasant, yes, but it's, it's, if it's done right, I, you have to have a vision for where it's bridging you over to, as opposed to being focused on the unpleasantness of this exact moment. Uh, I think the, the the easiest way to to reduce the anxiety of that, uh, it, I want to pull out a couple of things that, that Lee was saying. Uh, one thing I really want to build on is he was talking about communicating expectations. And this is about the future, you see. I'm thinking forward if i uh let's say for, uh, let's use an example from our ministry we have um uh, a ministry where we bring in a different church every week to serve as our host team they do the greeting on the way in they provide a meal for the service afterwards now in between they have to be taught how to act because yes. this is a different culture it's a different environment right. we're doing this in the inner city there's ex-cons there's uh, uh, the former gang members there people who are dealing with addiction all of those people are more passionate in their faith, generally speaking, than most of the suburban uh, church folk that we bring in. Uh, almost all of them are have more zeal, more enthusiasm, more dedication to it. They're also dealing with more struggles. So it's more of an intense thing sort of on every level. And um, when they come, they are coming with that intensity. Again, they're... they're they're much less lined out than anybody. It's messy, but it's not it, a focused intensity. That's right. It, that's what we're trying to do is focus sure. it. Exactly right. So um, part of that, the key for that is to have a praise and worship time where we are fully identifying what we're here to do, how we're, what our status is with the Lord, and this is intended to be sung full throated. Yep. This is this is what these people need in order to unclench and get ready to hear the word. And that's what happens every single week. That's the loudest room of people singing. You you can you can barely hear yourself sing when you're at the bridge. Here's the thing: we every week we have to anticipate that these uh, host team people won't know how to act, mm-hmm. and we tell them, "You will sing loud. Doesn't matter if you know the song. Doesn't matter if you don't know the lyrics or the tune or the. Just do it loudly, because the assumption is." If I'm just coming off the streets and here's somebody who's a, a you know a church going person and they're not fired up about this, I'm starting to question whether I'm supposed to be quiet, fired right. up about this. Mm-hmm. And you've just ruined our whole dang service, dude. So we're going to we're going to do this thing and you are going to sing. Now here's the thing: on on an occasional basis, someone will decide they're going to take that as a suggestion as opposed to a direct instruction on how to act. Well, 
my man Jed has, from the microphone, said, hey, you, sing like you mean it. Make because, with the clapping. Yeah, yeah if, if, you know, I, I need to see you clapping. And yes, I am looking right at you. Start clapping. Because this is... There's a confrontation there. Yeah, right. There's loving. They know that sure. that's being said with love, but it's 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 a it's a way of communicating. You remember how we told you this before, and you see how now you're not doing this. That makes it different. You know, if I if I communicate it in that way of yep. we had already talked about this, and you know you should be doing it now. You know you're not. I'm just pointing out the thing that you should know about the situation already. Uh, here's another thing. If I if if somehow this is a situation where I haven't been able to anticipate that and I haven't lined you out on that, then uh, what we do in this operation is something we call uh, uh, the first mistake is free, right? So the idea is if you screw something up where I didn't tell you, okay, this let me this is there's uh, blame to go around here. Yeah, I should have known somehow that I should have told you this. But ne- never, never, ever, never, never do that again. But the first mistake is free. We're going to communicate that, and that's fine. Next time, don't you? You know how to do this uh, in the future. Uh, I think what that does is it gives people that sense of there is some grace there, there is some understanding there, uh, there is a, a desire to to work with uh, with an individual. But it's saying I, we have a reputation here, we have goals we're trying to meet here. You don't get to use our personal connection as a way of escaping that. It goes the other way. If I'm helping you find a job, if I'm helping you uh, uh, change your situation and I'm improving your situation, you have a responsibility when you go to that job to do it better because you're you're not only representing yourself, you're representing me as well. So that's not fewer expectations because we're friends, there's more. Yeah, absolutely right. I think that's really uh, smart and a good look at that from the boss's point of view i think the the one of the angles we want to make sure we uh, explicitly cover all these all three of these guys uh covered stuff that applies to it is there is the this is not my deal i'm not in charge i am you know i am the shift manager and you know joe from the church works here so i gotta oversee him so there's not exactly maybe as much leeway in the way you structure things mm-hmm. you know somebody coming from says you know, it's it's time for, you know, it's time for Johnson's yearly performance review. You didn't write it, but here it is. You know, you're the mm-hmm. assistant HR person who's got to give it to him. Uh, a lot of the best stuff you can do on this, uh, this is a verse that uh, we use a lot up here, but it, it definitely applies here. It's Romans twelve eighteen, which says, as far as it depends on you, yeah. live at peace with everyone. Yep. There's a lot of what all these guys are discussing here, which is, um, to go back to the nice thing from Jed's uh, answer, you cannot control how people are going to react to this stuff, particularly yep. if you don't have a lot of control over what you're going to say. You know, if the performance review is, you know, three, it's two strikes. And if you screw this up again, you're fired. If you didn't write, if you didn't, you know, write the handbook, which says that you can't, there's no way to soften that blow really. Yeah. What you can do is focus your energy on handling everything from an above board and, a straightforward way as you can from your end so that if a dude has a freak out and goes tries to go around church bad mouthing you to everyone you have the comeback of i can show you in the employee handbook where i did everything by the book i didn't there's nothing there wasn't anything extra he wanted what he wanted was extra consideration which puts my job in jeopardy so what are we talking about here and Again, the church is a weird place. There's no guarantee that everybody's going to see you as a good guy on that. But 
the thing you can focus on putting your control in is handling everything in a with as much integrity as Glenn's pointing out with the expectations, honesty and mm-hmm. as well as you can. And that's mm-hmm. uh, some of that may be as uh, Glenn actually pointed to a couple of them there, uh, learning the management techniques that uh, soften this stuff, you know, you, the, the old compliment sandwich. Yeah, absolutely. Just mm-hmm. you suck at this. This was pretty, this was, this was pretty good. That really sucked. Don't ever do that again. And also, you know, nice haircut. So yeah, right. it's, it's two to one. It's a nice mm-hmm. ratio. There, the, there's a lot of corporate stuff out there for cor- corporations. Super don't like conflict. Yep. It can get messy. So there's, there's plenty of stuff like that out there. But if what your worry is, is I'm afraid someone's going to hold my behavior at work against me at church. The easiest way to short circuit that is to just uh, the best you can do everything by the book at work. You know, the Bible talks about always be, be ready with an answer. This is a case that the Bible doesn't say in that case, but it definitely applies in this kind of situation yep. for someone mm-hmm. to say, I heard you, you fired Bob. You say, well, Bob tipped over a crate of air conditioners and cost the company $40,000. It wasn't because I was mean to him. Right. It's because what, what are you going to do? Right, you, right, right. There, there's a, a thing we, we do up here, which is that we have to think through of if a totally objective third party was presented with this situation, what would they think of it? Yeah. So what would the appearance be? You say, well, you know, yeah, I kind of got in the job and I tried to do this on the slide and I tried to help him out. Well, now you're, now it looks like you're doing something shady. You say, nope, I filled out all the paperwork and I did it this way. Then even if someone wants to take it wrong, you did everything it could as far as it depends on you. Right. And that's uh, to, that folds in all the, the really smart advice these guys gave about handling that stuff and do uh, something that's kind of workplace specific of, and it go, even goes to the marriage stuff. So if there's a, a by-the-book way to do it and you're trying to make sure people aren't going to freak out about stuff later, just do it as by-the-book as you can, yep. which is not the advice you're probably expecting to get from this podcast. Yeah. Right. That's how outside the realm of our comfortable comfort zone the idea of having a job is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We move on to our final question here. It came in an announcement with our Tumblr box, and it says, I broke up with my boyfriend. The relationship was unhealthy at best, so I don't regret the change, but I do miss the physical intimacy a lot. We weren't having sex, but it was nice to have someone to be close to, and I find myself craving intimacy and touch even though I don't want him back. I don't want to latch on to someone else as a rebound, but I'm having a hard time keeping together. How should I deal with this? And Lee, can you kick us off? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, we should start out by saying, I'm sorry you're going through a breakup and a rough time. Breakups suck. There's no way around it. There's all kinds of feelings that that come with that that are completely natural that you can't really gauge. At, you know, before it happens, how strong they're going to be, how those waves are going to hit and stuff. I'd like to start us out with something really practical that doesn't seem like it's true, but if you would take my word for it and try this out, I promise it is true. And that is the principle that that uh, that you. The things that you're feeling that are so strong, you don't actually feel them all the time. Um, I know it feels that way. It, it feels like in the midst of a breakup, I am missing the you know the intimacy, the you know the the cuddles and all, you know the hugs and all that kind of stuff. I'm missing that stuff all the time. It's really wearing me out. And so what I would what I would ask you to do is just kind of uh, just kind of buy in a little bit and, and trust me, do some reconnaissance work. And what we want to find out is. Um, when you feel those feelings really strong, take a note of it and try to figure out like what, what time of day is it? What just happened before this? Um, and what would happen is if you would start to kind of chart some of that stuff out, you would find something, which is you don't always feel this stuff, but a pattern 
develops over when you actually do feel it. So mm-hmm. maybe what you find is, uh, I I always really really miss the you know those moments that we had, um, you know late at night, or um, after a particularly rough day at work, or after somebody says something uncool to me, um, after I've had a stressful conversation with my family, or after I bombed a test. You might find out um, that there are certain kinds of stressors and certain times of day where you really feel this. And then you've got other times where you're at work or you're hanging out with your friends or you're you know, serving in a ministry or something like that, that you don't feel this stuff at all. And so what that does for us is it enables us to, to really start to develop a strategy. Okay, when I'm, when, when I'm entering into one of these situations where I'm bound to feel this thing, you know, uh, you know extra strength. Um, is there something that I can do um, to short circuit that process? Is is there um, is there a friend or two that I can call on and we can have like a friend movie night? Um, is there is there a way? In other words, um, I once I see the pattern, then I can start to anticipate these times where this feeling is going to be pretty strong, and then I can come up with. Um, I can come up with something else that I can do, a healthy pattern that's going to help me change the channel of this feeling. And that's what we mm-hmm. want to do. We want to mm-hmm. figure out when is it happening and change the channel of it. I know that doesn't deal with like the deep-seated stuff about the relationship and how maybe this intimacy, you know, the, the, the rebound thing, which you're actually hitting the nail on the head on a lot of the, the, the unhealthy uh, things that could trip you up in this. You, you, you've got a good beat on that stuff. And so I know this doesn't feel like maybe the thing that you're asking for. It's a real practical thing to find out what are the patterns that develop over these feelings. And is there any way that we can come up with a real, you know, precise strategy to change the channel when these things are feeling extra strength strong? I think it's a very, very good place to start. And Glenn, I'd love to to kick over you on that because I think one of the the very good points that Lee's making that underpins that there is um, – these the emotions you're going to feel, the things you're going to feel, are going to tell you something about uh, that you can build on. But a very important point he's making is what the feeling is about actually isn't the main thing that's going to tell you anything. Right. As, as we've often pointed out, um, there's plenty of people who say, "Well, you know, we broke up and I missed them, therefore I know we're meant to be together." No, 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 no. Right, right, right. Broke up with someone, you miss them. That's how that works. There's a ton of good information that we can get to build strategy on about these kind of feelings we're having. But there's also some some noise coming with that signal we want to tune out, right? That's true. Well, and I think this question, uh, it, it's tough to answer really because uh, we want to mourn it with you more than just uh, sweep it under the rug and say, I'll get over it. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, it uh, it's hard for us to address uh, sort of the strategic element of this uh, because it feels like we're ignoring some of the emotional elements of this. So... Oh, you know, uh, I'll I'll say that as sort of just a, a preamble while I get directly onto the practical elements of this. But I think the the idea here really is uh, not only how do I move on, but when. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's part of what this person is mentioning here. Of you know, I don't want to just latch on to someone else as a rebound. It's a good concern to have. It's a good way of looking at things. Uh, except for, the, uh, I think it's good to know when when are you over the last one and mm-hmm. when is it ready to move on to the next one. I think it's important when you, when there is a breakup to 
examine what's gone on in that relationship and to look at with a you know an honest uh, as as they say in the twelve step programs an honest uh, you know moral inventory but uh, to to look at you know, how was I how did I do do I do I like the person that I was did I have bad habits that mm-hmm. I didn't address whether that was causal to the breakup or not, that's not relevant. It's just how did I do and how was this? Re- is this the kind of relationship I want to have? Is this is this the kind of, uh, you know, and, and start listing out what those changes would be, what that would look like. Depending on the relationship and depending on how it went and where you were at in that, that might take uh, a couple of months or, uh, you know, more. If it's a kind of thing where you dated for, Oh, two, three months, and and then he moved away. You probably don't need a ton of analysis on that. You know, it's a pretty simple deal. So uh, let's not artificially build in time because it feels like that's the thing that it needs to be. If you're if you're over the last one and you're ready to move on, you feel like you learned what you need to learn. Start asking the Lord, you know, am I in a good place to start moving on here, mm-hmm. and let Him give you some leadership on that. Um, also one other quick thing, uh, as I send this over to Jen, here's the thing. Let's not judge the fact that you have these desires. Right. You know, let, let's not, let's not make that be something negative towards you. And uh, it's an unpleasant thing to have a desire for something and you don't have it. So mm. that's, that's tough enough. Let's not add to that the sense of, I shouldn't be feeling these cravings. That's somehow bad or it's somehow a desire to uh, 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 have a rebound, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'm I'm just pursuing these relationships for the physical. That's that's way, way, way too much uh, uh, unfairness towards you. We need to be in a place where we're saying everybody has physical desires. I have these physical desires. Mm-hmm. It was really, really great to have some of those desires met when I was with this last person. It will be great when I'm with the next person, mm-hmm. and I'm anxious to get to that point. That's all good and right and healthy. We Yes, we don't want to rush that process, right? but if there's a little bit of horniness is driving a certain amount of prayer and investigation and learning about <laughs> self-improvement, that's not necessarily a bad thing, so let's Absolutely. not bash that. That's right. A little bit of horniness driving prayer is really the kind of insight you're only going to get on this show. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I thought, I thought we were going to tap that, top that sentence from earlier, but that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, 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 there you go. Never underestimate Glenn. That's an important, important lesson for 2017. Uh, Jed Levy's take us out on this, and I think it really does tie in exactly what these guys are saying. Of, um, you can't read too much into the freak out because yep. that's gonna happen. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's probably something on waiting that out. But what can we do in the in the meantime? Well, as as we've all said, and bears repeating, we're we're sorry for what you're dealing with. We we truly are. I am very familiar with the experience you're describing, mm-hmm. and I think there's an element here that's just kind of like withdrawal. Yeah, you have yes. something yes. that yeah. is pretty, at least on level, it's pretty awesome, and then it's just gone. Mm-hmm. That sucks, and you've got yeah. a sense of craving for it. And there's an internal freak out there. It makes sense. The the thing, of course, and I know this from experience, it will pass. It 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 actually will. That that. You know, it may take a few weeks, but it, it actually will pass. So what do you do in the meantime? Um, uh, Glenn is absolutely right. You want to be uh, in, in, in prayer. Um, and I think Lee has already touched on this, but it bears repeating. You need to just do basic self-care, man. You need to, to take care of yourself. So in, in addiction circles, they talk, they, the acronym they use is HALT, which stands for Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. 
And for the next few weeks, don't let yourself become any of those things. Right. You know, uh, eat regular meals. If you've got things you're angry about, find a place to talk them out. Um, have friends to hang out with so you're not lonely. Uh, don't let yourself get overtired because all those will make this worse. And add to that list, get some regular fun, some regular exercise, and a regular opportunity to serve other people. Um, if you do all those things, you not only you will come to the other side of this regardless, but all those things will help you come to the other side of it faster and easier and in a little bit better shape. And that's what we want for you. That's absolutely right. There are some things like this where and it's important, again, going through that processing motions. You point out, you know, say it, was, it wasn't really the healthiest relationship, so I don't regret the it bailing. I think part of – if you, you know your emotions better than we do. Um, part of what can happen in those situations is people will lock on to, well, clearly I'm not sad about the relationship ending, so it must be just the horniness or the whatever. And uh, it, it's entirely possible that's true, but it, it, I don't say this for our question, Ash. I say this in a general sense. Um, never rule out emotions making no sense. Yep. So if you sure. say, well, it was, a, it was a bad relationship, so I can't be that sad about that ending. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Right. And uh, the, the physical intimacy thing, as we pointed out, you know, it's, it's one of those things, of, as we pointed out on other stuff, it's going to be for at least a little while that is going to be about um, management as opposed to kind of full cessation in the sense of, as your friend points out here, the, the main goal is to not do something incredibly stupid yep. right. while we're doing this. So as, as he's got pointed out, things that in, an, in another way we may say unhealthy things like distraction, like point another energy for a little while, that's fine. Yep. You don't want to, mm-hmm. as, as Glenn pointed out, you don't want to land there forever. Mm-hmm. You don't want to just take up macrame in the space of romantic relationship <laughs> right. for your whole life. I'll just adopt cats. That's exactly right. And make things from the, from the hair that sheds off them. But uh, that's not a good long-term plan. But if you, if you say, you know what? I feel like if I, if I go out uh, with my friends for a couple months, I'm going to end up doing something way stupider than uh, owning cats. Then, you know, focus on that for a little while. That's sure. fine. But th- that is one of those differences we're talking about, that kind of that short-term freak-out period versus a longer-term strategy period. It's important to get a feeling for where those boundaries kind of cross over, which it sounds like you have a good head on. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com. It's also the address. If you have that award nomination suggestions, mm-hmm. the dot com. We're going to take out with a song this week. Glenn mentioned earlier, kind of the, uh, the fervor and volume at which the men and the women at the bridge, uh, sang, and it is very true. You get to hear that a lot in the live bridge tracks we play, uh, that uh, Jed plays on, but uh, maybe you get a little bit of sense, better sense of it. There's not even any instrumentation. Mm. So this is from a couple of bridge boxes ago. This is our friends, Pete and Tasha Lawson singing an acapella jail style song at the bridge of a song that Pete wrote called father. Do you hear me now? We'll give you it's microphones cannot fully capture the volume that's happening in that room, right. but these do a pretty good job. So we're going to take out with that. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, we consume wacky Christian media. So you don't have to. <laughs> and how. <laughs> Father, do you hear me now? Father, do you hear me now? Only you can save me. Only you can save me. Crying in the midnight hour. Crying in the midnight hour. Only you can save me. Only you can save me. God, I feel so sick and tired. God, I feel so sick and tired. I need you to save me. I need you to save me. Even while I dig my grave, even while I dig my grave, only you can save me. Only you can save me. Father, do you hear me now? Father, do you hear me now? Only you can save me. 
Forsaken me. Why have you forsaken me? Father, do you hear me now? Father, do you hear me now? Only you can save me. Only you can save me. Crying in the midnight hour. Crying in the midnight hour. Only you can save me. Only you can save me. God, I need your kingdom. God, I need your kingdom. Your power and your glory. save me. Only you can save me. Crying in the midnight hour. Crying in the midnight hour. Only you can save me. Only you can save me. Father, do you hear me now? Father, do you hear me now? Only you can save me. Only you can save me. Crying in the midnight hour. Crying in the midnight hour. Only you can save me. Only